At the current prices, I'm probably not buying because even though I like them, I don't like them for that much of my money. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. You can follow us on Instagram at Slab Stocks. You can subscribe here on YouTube. Make sure you're signed up for our email list and you can do that at slabstocks.com. I am continuing today on part three of my three-part series on the 2019 rookie class. I already covered picks one through 18 the last two weeks. Today I'm covering all the rest. Obviously, I can't cover everyone, so I'm just going to pick through the rest of the drafted and undrafted rookies and spend some time on the names that do garner more attention and some of the names that I think should probably gather some more attention as well. I mentioned last week I'm just using these players' prism silver rookie cards, the ungraded ones in most situations. Not because I think that's just automatically the best card to invest in, but simply because it provides a convenient baseline for evaluating the market's current position on each player um, and how they compare to one another. Again, I'm just not able to cover each and every player, so if I skip over anyone that you were really hoping to listening to listen to, I apologize. That's just how this has to go. Uh, so if you want to, sound off in the comments on Instagram or on YouTube about a player I missed, why you like them or don't like them, and hopefully we can kind of just continue the conversation over there. I'm more than willing to do that. All right. Uh, picking up with the 20th pick, going to the Philadelphia 76ers, Matisse Thibel, who was one of the more hyped rookies coming out of last year's Summer League. Uh, he was really, really, really good defensively this year. On the sixth best defensive unit based on defensive rating this year. And the Sixers were actually significantly better with him on the court. He had the 23rd best individual defensive rating in the league among players that played over 50 games. And he rises all the way to the 14th best player in the league if you take out all of the Milwaukee Bucks in the top 25. Boom, boom. He only averaged under 20 minutes per game, so just looking at his per 36-minute totals, he averaged 1.3 blocks, 2.6 steals per game. Just an absolute defensive menace in every sense. Uh, this is all the more impressive considering that he is a rookie, and rookies general, generally struggle on the defensive end. Looking a little bit deeper, his defensive output was even more impressive when you consider this. Uh, this was I found this on Nylon Calculus. Thibel is only the seventh player in NBA history to play at least 1,000 minutes and post a steal and block percentage of 3% or higher. And, by the way, he's the first rookie ever to do that because no rookie should ever be able to do that. Plus, his block percentage is the second highest in NBA history for a player that's six foot five inches or smaller. So considering all of this, the 76ers really nailed this selection. He's going to have a long career and easily is one of the best premier defenders in the league. Uh, obviously... The big question with Thibel then comes on the other end of the floor. Uh, this past season, he was fine as a low-usage low offensive player. He does have his limitations offensively, but um, playing in the limited role, he showed that he's good enough to not be a major liability, uh, although the Sixers were a little bit better with him on the bench. He shot 41% from the field, uh, passable 35% on two-and-a-half three-point attempts per game. Catch-and-shoot threes, he shot 37%, which is pretty good and figures to be his role moving forward. Uh, really not much else on that side of the ball to get excited about, but you know, definitely some stuff to work with. Uh, he figures to be a key cog on the 76ers team and should continue to be throughout his career. Uh, so I like Thibel a lot, and although I generally do gravitate towards defensive players, um, but you know, on that side of the ball, he's just terrific. Um, but it doesn't, unfortunately, do a whole ton for his card prices. His ungraded Prism Silver Rookie cards have been auctioning off around the $10 to $15 range the past couple of weeks, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to his prices in the next couple of years. 
you know, so much is going to depend on narrative around him. Um, he's not going to be a focal point on F offense at all, and that would normally be what drives his prices. So I think, you know, at his current prices, there's really not much point in, in selling. I think he's a clear hold, and we just have to see what happens over the next year or two and kind of hope for some of the narrative to come back for him. With the 21st pick, the Grizzlies selected Brandon Clark, who's going to go down as a steal in this draft. Uh, really good on both sides of the ball this, this season. A slight net positive on the defensive end, which is really good for a rookie, as most rookies, again, struggle on that end of the floor. Uh, very switchable on defense. He was willing and able to cover multiple different positions, and he was actually good defending both wings and bigs, uh, which is a pretty rare skill to have. On the other side of the ball, he was also good, uh, really good, actually. Uh, extreme efficiency. He hit 65% of his two-point attempts, even hit 40% of his shots from deep, with, although that was only on one attempt per game. Uh, his efficiency even came over to the passing. He had 72 assists, only 46 turnovers, which is just a great ratio. Uh, moving forward, there's just a lot to like about this Clark, Triple J, John Morant trio. Uh, should really be a good young core for this young Grizzlies team. And I think all of their card prices are going to steadily increase in the coming years, uh, just based on them being on one of the exciting young teams in the league. His well-centered, ungraded Prism Silver rookie cards have been auctioning off in the low to high 30s over the past couple of days, which is right in line where I'd like to see him at the moment. Now, he's clearly not under the radar, but I do still think he has some potential moving forward, especially with the team around him. Uh, I do like him as a buy still. And pick number 30 to the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Porter Jr. I do like Kevin Porter Jr. probably more than I like any of the other young Cavs players. I do think I have some biases in play here as, as Sexton and Garland both had their improvements toward the very end of the season. I'm just not as high on them as I am on Porter. I may catch a lot of heat for that as I think many Cavs fans are extremely high on Colin Sexton. I just am not. I think you know, he was very good offensively this year, but kind of in the Zach Levine mold, you know, high usage on a bad team and really didn't make his teammates better in any significant sort of way. You know, All three of these young Cavs guards were poor defensively. Although I, though with the Cavs, it's kind of hard to separate the individual effort from the team defense overall because they were really just terrible as an entire team on defense. Uh, the defensive player impact plus minus uh, which takes luck into account and adjusts for it, has Colin Sexton as the second worst defender in the entire league out of 450-some-odd players, just better than Trey Young. And while Porter and Garland were still bad, they were at least a couple hundred rankings better. Uh, Porter does have some defensive versatility, and I really think that he has a chance to be an average defender moving forward, maybe even a little above average, but that's just kind of some guesswork on my part. You know, one of the nice things with Kevin Porter is that he showed some real improvement this year from what we thought he would be based on his college performance. He had a historically bad free throw percentage at USC. He shot only 52% from the charity stripe. He wasn't setting the world on fire from the line this year, although it was a much improved 72%, which is good to see that improvement, uh, especially since he's very adept at drawing fouls on his drives. He only shot 34% on his threes, although that was dragged down by an abysmal 26% on his pull-up three-point attempts. He did shoot just over 40%, though, on catch-and-shoot threes, which is really quite good, and I hope he continues that. Now, all told, he averaged 10 points, three rebounds, two assists in just over 23 minutes per game, also a steal. I uh, just turned 20 about a week ago, I think, so I still think he has quite a bit of upside, and not everyone agrees. You know, not everyone's very high on him. There's quite a bit of risk in his profile, and it is really hard to evaluate these Cavaliers players, being that they were just so bad last year and the year before that. 
so it'll be interesting to see what direction the Cavs take moving forward uh, with these three young guards. I don't think they're going to keep all three of them around in t- because to, in order to develop them well, I think they need to break them up. I think at least one of those players will be gone in the next year or so. Uh, Porter's ungraded Prism Silver rookie cards have been auctioning off anywhere from 20 to 40 bucks recently, kind of all over the place. Even a Mosaic Silver auctioned off for $56 just the other day, and I have no idea what's going on there. At the current prices, I'm probably not buying because even though I like him, I don't like him for that much of my money. Uh, but since his prices have been kind of all over the map, you can search on eBay, keep a search open, and might be lucky to snag one for under 10 bucks. And if you could find that, I would be buying at that price. A bit of a mixed bag, uh, but I do generally like Kevin Porter. Hey, if you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, why don't you go and check out Daddy Issues with Joe Buck and Oliver Hudson. Uh, You might know Joe Buck from sports. He's the son of Jack Buck. You might recognize Oliver Hudson from TV. He's the brother of Kate Hudson. Uh, Both really funny on the podcast. It's a new podcast that features a couple of working dads giving an unfiltered look at what it's like to be a father, a son, a brother, and navigate the world today. Uh, A couple of really funny guys sharing their personal stories, exploring everything from raising kids to parenting to their hobbies, sports, dad bods, marriages. I would encourage you to go subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and stay tuned at the end of the show for a clip of their podcast. All right, with the 41st pick in the draft, the 11th selection in the second round, Eric Pascal. A lot of people really like this guy, um, especially this past year, and and I understand. He was a second-round pick that stepped into a Warriors team that, due to injuries, was one of the worst teams in the league, and he far outperformed his draft position. A classic example of one of these guys where you just look at his counting stats, and he's a huge surprise to a lot of people. Led the team in minutes played, points, field goal attempts, and was the second in the team in rebounds. Uh, Per game averages of 14 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists in just 28 minutes per game. Uh, So really good rookie season for a second round pick. Uh, But, you know, once you kind of start to dig in, you really don't have to go all that deep and it kind of goes to crumbles. Uh, Before I get there, though, I do want to talk about some of the good parts of his game. You know, he was... uh, Pretty versatile defensively. He was one of the most versatile defenders in the entire league. He actually covered five positions over 10% of the time, uh, which is a super good skill to have, and I'm sure a skill that the Warriors are going to make use of moving forward. On offense, he really earned his reputation this year um, by playing good offense. He was good inside the arc. He shot 60% within 10 feet of the rim, which is pretty good. Uh, Ranked in the 86% in the league on post-ups. All very good things. Uh, There was a lot of bad, though. On defense, he was very versatile, but he was 91st out of 96 power forwards, according to ESPN's defensive real plus minus. Also, the Warriors were much better defensively when he was on the bench, which is pretty bad considering they had the 26th best defensive unit in the league last year. On offense, too, it wasn't that great. If you look at his shot profile, it just doesn't look like it's going to fit with what the Warriors want to do once they're all completely healthy. Nearly 14% of Pascal's possessions were used up in isolation, which doesn't sound like a whole ton, but among players that played at least 50 games, he was ISOing the 13th most frequently in the entire league. Uh, The players ahead of him include James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Siakam, Lillard, LeBron, CP3, Tatum, Giannis, and Luka. Uh, quite clearly an upper echelon class of player that's generally afforded so many ISO opportunities. Um, you know, just an FYI, if you don't know, isolation is or an ISO play for short. It's basically just a play where an offensive player goes one-on-one with a defender and creates for himself. 
The Warriors are overwhelmingly opposed to ISO plays. If you remember when KD first arrived at Golden State, the fit was initially difficult because Durant just played a different style of basketball than the rest of the team. Uh, he historically relied on an ISO frequency of around 15%. Uh, finally, in his second year, Steve Kerr freed up some more possessions for Durant and allowed him an ISO of 15.5% uh, of the time. The final season in Golden State was just a tick up from that. Outside of Boogie Cousins, though, there have been no Warriors over the past five seasons that ranked in the top 50 players in frequency of isolation plays. That was until this year when the Warriors were absolutely decimated by injuries and Pascal steps in and has afforded the ball in his hands as much as he was. 13th most in the league. Just not going to stick. Now, on a ball that is on a team that's built on ball movement and the dynamic combo of Clay and Steph, you know, the ball's just not going to find its way into Pascal's hands like it was this year. He essentially stepped into Durant's role from the past two years, but Eric Pascal is clearly not Kevin Durant, and they're just not going to afford him the same freedom that they allowed Durant once everyone is healthy. The logic goes that he'll become more of a catch-and-shoot three-point specialist this year, and that with the gravity that Stephen Clay bring, he's going to be more open you know, more of the time and get better looks. But I'm also not sure that that's going to be true either. You know, Barring some significant improvement from deep, Pascal just isn't a very good three-point shooter. He hit only 29% of his threes last year, and actually 93% of those threes came in catch-and-shoot situations, so it's not like he was just trying to create his own shots from deep. And actually, 88% of his three-point attempts came when he was either open or wide open, meaning that defenders were either over four feet away or over six feet away. So it's not for a lack of open space. He had plenty of those opportunities. He's just not a very good shooter from deep. He could obviously improve. His last season at Villanova, he has some room for optimism. On 5.6 three-point attempts per game, shot 35% there at Villanova. Um, so pretty good, um, but is he ever going to be a really good three-point shooter? I kind of have my doubts. So Eric Pascal stepped into a bad situation, and he was given the opportunities, and he performed very admirably. He was far better than the 41st overall pick is expected to be, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. I think he's going to be a fine player. He's going to have a spot in this league for quite a few years. Uh, do I think he's going to be a starter on a good NBA team? No, I don't. I think he has a future as sixth, seventh, eighth man, you know, first big off the bench type of guy. Uh, fairly reliable player that could fit into a number of different roles, but I think all of those roles are ultimately going to be off the bench. His ungraded Prism Silver rookie cards have been auctioning off in the $15 to $20 range, which is not terrible. It's kind of right in line with a lot of these other rookies that still have a lot to prove, and uh, I think that's the correct definition for Eric Pascal so far. Uh, he was uh, 23 years old this past season, and I don't think the fit with Golden State is very good, especially when everyone's healthy. Uh, probably not going to repeat what they did this past year. Uh, so, in the words of Shark Tank, for those reasons, I am out. I would be selling. Uh, I could easily see him sneaking onto an all-NBA rookie team, which, like I said with P.J. Washington last year, if or last week, if that happens, we could see maybe a slight bump in his prices. Um, but in general, I'd probably be selling. I don't expect significant upside in his prices for the next two to three seasons, and if that's the case... There's really not much point in holding all my opinion. All right, moving on. Uh, undrafted out of Old Miss at shooting guard Terrence Davis. Uh, stop me if you've heard this before, but the Toronto Raptors managed to dig up a promising young two-way player that every other team in the league passed by, and this time it was an undrafted rookie free agent. Now, 
you know, most likely would have been drafted, but the word is he was unwilling to sign a two-way contract with any team, so he fell off a number of teams' draft boards for that reason. Uh, but the Raptors, Raptors were willing to sign him to a two-year NBA contract, and they've been rewarded. The Raptors were by far and away the best in the league at picking up these underappreciated young players and turning them into very useful pieces. And Terrence Davis is no exception. Uh, he's just been excellent this year. 17 minutes per game. He averaged 7.7 points, 3.4 blocks, 1.7 assists, none of which, which really jumps off the page, but he did it with just incredible efficiency. Shot 46% from the field and 40% from three on three and a half attempts per game. And that's only on 17 minutes again. And he shot 87% from the free throw line. Also as good as a creator, he's slotting right in with Kobe White in assist percentage. And while he did play a little bit of point guard this year, his best work comes as a secondary creator at the two position. Uh, by some of the advanced player impact metrics, um, which I bit is a bit more of a deep dive, he has been the third most effective rookie this season. And there are very few rookies that actually promote winning. You know, Jean Morant, Zion Williamson becoming being one of the ob some of the obvious ones, uh, but less obvious, but also extremely impactful was Terrence Davis. Every single Raptors regular, with the exception of Norman Powell, was actually much better when Terrence Davis was on the floor, uh, just judging by their net ratings. And players like Lowry and Sackham were actually much better when they shared the floor with Davis. On the 46 and 18 Raptors, Davis played the seventh most minutes of anyone on the team, uh, which is really quite astonishing. And among regulars, he had the third best on-off differential just behind Siakam and Gasol. The Raptors were four points per 100 possessions better offensively when he was on the court, two points better defensively when he was on the court. Uh, so there's just a ton to like about Terrence Davis, and it's super encouraging to see uh, you know, with him that he actually looks better the deeper you dive into his stats, which, if you've been paying attention, just isn't often true with rookies. His ceiling is much higher than his undrafted status would normally indicate, and I do believe that in a year or two he's going to be a starting shooting guard, maybe with, maybe with the Raptors, maybe with someone else. He is a restricted free agent at the end of next season. All that being said... As an undrafted free agent, Terrence Davis was not given a PRISM rookie card. He was also not featured in Optic, uh, just given like a rookie signature series card or something like that. His first base card came out of Mosaic just this past month, and kind of hard to gauge where his prices are at the moment. Uh, recently, a Mosaic silver of his auctioned for $40, but that was just on one bid. Uh, buy It Now went for $60, another silver auction for $20 on four bids. That was all on the same day, just yesterday. Uh, obviously, there are about a billion parallels in Mosaic, and, and they're kind of all over the place, so, you know, I don't know. I'd be buying singles if you can find them cheap, but I have no idea what a good price point is on him. I'm also uncertain of what Mosaic's long-term value is going to be, although with it being Terrence Davis's only rookie card, that's obviously your best choice for him. So, I don't really know what to recommend, but I am bullish on Terrence Davis, and I think he has a pretty nice career ahead of him. All right. Last rookie, I know, the last rookie, though, it's all I have time for, Kendrick Nunn. A bit of a roundabout route for him to get to the league, but once he started in Miami, he started 62 games out of 65, averaged 15.5 points, 2.7 rebounds, 3.4 assists, shot 45% from the field and 36% from deep on six attempts per game. A little bit old for a rookie, 24 years old already, um, but he was from last year's draft class. He was undrafted, played in the G League, and then came to the Heat this year. 
very effective offensively this season. On pull-up jumpers, he was actually extremely accurate, uh, surprisingly hitting at a better percentage of pull-ups than catch-and-shoots. Hit 38.5% of his pull-up three-pointers compared to 35.5% of his catch-and-shoot threes. Also, extremely skilled driver this season in the 80th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Uh, he showed quite a bit of chemistry with Bam Adebayo. Of his 210 assists, 63 went to Bam. Of Adebayo's 333 assists, 65 went back to Nunn. So kind of a really promising combo moving forward. Uh, that being said, Kendrick Nunn is, is going to be 25 once the season starts, which implies that he has some limited growth potential. That's not automatically the case, but you know, getting a late start in your career isn't obviously ideal for potential. So while I do believe Nunn is good, I also think he might have benefited from an extremely impressive October where he scored 24, 18, 25, 17, 28 points in five games. And that kind of solidified him as like a you know, potential rookie of the year candidate. And while he has been good all year, he was never quite as good as he was those first five games, which isn't really surprising. Uh, he was another rookie that didn't have a prison rookie card. But he did get featured in Optic as well as Mosaic. Uh, not too many auctions to look at, but you know there are quite a few Optic Hollow Buy It Nows being snatched up anywhere from $25 to $50 recently. But it is kind of a weird card. Uh, you might have seen it. His name didn't get printed on the card, so it was kind of a mistake card. Uh, his Mosaic Silvers have been going in Buy It Nows and auctions around $30 the last week or so. I'm not recommending buying either of these. You know, it kind of sucks he didn't get his name in the Optic Rookie card. And I'm kind of dubious about Mosaic's long-term value in general. You know, although with you know the way the market's going right now, who really knows? I do think Nunn is a good player. I think he benefits tremendously from a team that is built to cover up his flaws. Um, but being that he's a bit older, I think I'd hold for like another season and then maybe sell. Uh, but that's just one man's opinion. All right, that is all that I have time for. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. Hi, I'm Oliver Hudson. And I'm Joe Buck. And we are doing a new podcast together. It's called Daddy Issues. It's two guys with daddy issues talking about weekly topics and, and what's going on in their lives as dads, sons, brothers, as two, right. you know, adult males making their way through a coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Click on the link in the show description or subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.